Hello and welcome to Zero of the Day. I am your humble host, Dr. Lorenzo Neal, hailing from Cajun Land, USA, here to present you with seeds of wisdom, insight, empowerment, and liberation, promoting a knowledge that's engaging and transforming and empowering you, our listeners, to knowing and impacting the world around you. And as always, you're welcome to join us on this illuminating journey. Follow us on all the social media, on Facebook, Zero Network, on Twitter, at Zero Radio, and my personal handle, at Lorenzo T. Neal. We thank you so much for subscribing and following us and supporting us. If you haven't done so, I invite you to become a patron by going to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal, signing up for winning one of the tiers, and helping us continue to do what we've been doing these last over a decade now, <laughs> almost 12 years, or longer than 12 years, almost 13 years. Who knows? It's been a while. <laughs> so as you know, I have been away for a minute um, I did my usual summer vacation but I had COVID again for the second time and it took me a little while to recover from that get my voice together I, I wasn't really preaching much and I was resting and recovering and had some other things happen and I'm just glad to be able to get back and do the show had um, I, I, I you don't know, but if you do follow me on my social media, you know that I recently got engaged to be married. And I'm excited about that after uh, 19 years of uh, being divorced. <laughs> Finally getting back into that thing called marriage. So y'all pray for me. It's going to be crazy. I, I, I don't know how I'm going to handle that, but uh, <laughs> by God's grace, I will. So we've done that. Also, my niece graduated with her doctorate degree, and um, I was celebrating that. So over these last several weeks, it's been a lot going on, and I just have not been able to uh, get a show in between not feeling like it and, or not being able to really focus enough to get stuff done, <laughs> get tasks done. But here we are. We are here today, and we are going to do what we can. may not be a long show. I, I, I'm not anticipating a long show. I'm just going to go over a couple of stories that I missed that I really wanted to talk about. And um, then we're going to call it a day. So let's get right into it. First thing I want to talk about is, of course, you know, the story of the Brooklyn pastor, Bishop Lamore. Whitehead, who pastors um, leaders of Tomorrow Churches in the Brooklyn and Queens area of New York, and a few weeks back, if you haven't been hiding in a rock, you know this, you saw where his church was robbed during a live stream of his service, and in the video, which I uh, do not have footage or audio for but in the video you can just go search and you'll find it uh, he's in the middle of a sentence in his sermon and um, at least three persons come into the sanctuary armed he uh, immediately gets down on the floor and alleges that they robbed him of uh, first it was four hundred thousand dollars worth of jewelry and then it ended up being one million dollars worth of jewelry and <laughs> he says he put forth the chase and he's hoping that they would turn himself in but what has happened since is the news headline 
it's one thing for your church to be robbed, and every person who saw the video, there's a young man sitting in a chair. Uh, I don't know specifically what his role was, but he was cool, calm, and collected throughout the whole time, did not move. It was as if he was anticipating this happen. And when it did happen, boom, he knew his role. He stayed in his lane. He understood the assignment. Um, so because of that person's behavior and also because of Bishop's um, flaunting of his lifestyle that he claims why people, the young men came. But um, it has been questioned as to whether the robbery was staged or not and I I personally I hope that it was not because um, you know let me put it this way part of me wants to say it may have been because of that individual being too calm when persons with um, weapons come into the church there's no way I would just sit still like that but maybe he was trained to do so I don't know and with uh, people shooting in churches today, I can't put past, couldn't put that past anyone. Now, all those persons who committed those shootings in churches did not do so for robbery. They didn't go in and rob. They shot. Some ro shot because of malice toward others. Some was domestic abuse. And, of course, we know some was, uh, had other motivations. But uh, it was just, it was crazy. Then what, it's the aftermath of the, of the robbery that has everybody wondering what in the world is going on. Bishop uh, Whitehead has several questionable uh, actions following. Um, there's a stated lawsuit pending that he said he's, you know, I think the, the, the uh, lawsuit alleges that he uh, stole, that's what the, the language is using, he stole 90000 from parishioner. He is alleging or uh, defending himself by saying, no, I didn't steal it. It was a campaign contribution because he ran for Brooklyn Borough President. And uh, there are other allegations of his fiscal Interactions that are questionable, um, outstanding loans, uh, a history of fraudulence, and um, uh, what is it called? Um, when you take over a person's credit, uh, personality, not personality, but you know, uh, <laughs> I can't even think of it. That, that's why I haven't been able to do this. I mean, get this brain fog. I can't really talk like I used to but anyway identity theft thank you so uh, you know he did six years in prison in New York for fraud he was successful before as as I read by all accounts he had a very successful lifestyle earning at least 10000 a month as a mortgage broker but that wasn't satisfying enough so he you know committed these uh, crimes that landed him in prison. While he was in prison, he not only reformed, but accepted the call to preach. And coming out of preaching, uh, prison in 2014, he was ordained as a pastor 
He started his church as a community organization, then later as an, uh, a, a worship community, and was uh, elevated to the level of bishop or uh, whatever he calls himself uh, in 2016, which is a short amount of time because uh, by his own statements in 2006, he acknowledged the call to preach, serving as a adjunct to uh, a judge adjoint to uh, a pastor and later that pastor licensed and ordained him I believe uh, yeah in 2006 or so I could be mistaken about that but anyway whenever he got ordained he you know that was around the time he went to prison and so you're looking at about a 10 year span from 2006 to 2016 where he gets this title of bishop um, plants the church or churches and here it is now 22 2022 and he's making oh yeah he's also friends with the mayor of New York allegedly uh, that that was his mentor or is his mentor he got notoriety for um, his supposed role in turning in the shooter uh, I don't know the story about that but um, way he's supposed to have negotiated the um, the pickup and turning in of this person but it turned out that he really was not involved at all or his involvement was minimal and so I, I just said all that because, you know, people were digging up his history. But I've been watching all of the interviews, and I do mean just most. I think he's done quite a few. And you would think that a person who has experienced that type of trauma would kind of be a little more secluded. And if they did interviews, they would try to, you know, not be <laughs> whatever you know, be as humble and be as uh, pious and, you know, it's a traumatic experience. But in all of these, especially one in particular with uh, YouTube commentator and blogger Larry Reed, this person, Bishop Whitehead, just went way off. I mean, straight off, even calling him a, a slur. And, um, he said it again on the podcast of rapper Fat Joe, and he was unrepented of it. He was like, look, this is what it is. And he he, he gave this meaning of that word and said, this is what it really means. So my using it is not a slur. It's just a way that we did back in the day. And, yeah, back in the day, 30 years ago, when I was in junior high and high school, that was it. That's, you know, you would have said something like that to throw a brother off and throw a dude off. And, and you know, those were fighting words. Uh, anyway, it's neither here nor there. He has come under fire because instead of every, everything has been about him. He did a, he did a press uh, conference in front of the church, I believe. And he started off making it about him, you know. Uh, the story is that his father was killed, strangled by the NYPD. 
and um, when he was six weeks old uh, and because of all of that he has experienced not just the trauma of growing up in Brooklyn as a, with a single mother and all of that but the trauma of being profiled as a black man and you know so it be instantly became about him as people were uncovering his history which you know was public record it's not like it was secret but the more they uncovered uh, the crimes that led him to prison the more he felt attacked and the more he felt attacked the more he had to go on the offense and the more he went went on the offense through all his uh, public appearances it only made him look worse As a matter of fact though it the week following the, the robbery, the very next week, he's preaching a sermon, and he's in his fancy clothes and all of that. And uh, he went to a couple of events, from what I understand, and, you know, engaged with celebrities there. That's not the sign of a traumatized person. But everyone experiences trauma and expresses trauma in a different facet. But his way was mingling, so whatever it is. But he's catching a lot of attention, and I don't know if it's helping or hurting him. It's my my personal belief that it is doing more harm than help. And while he's trying to deflect from himself, he's only putting a greater light upon himself and some people are calling him a narcissist and all of this I I am not one I, I do not know the man but what I do know is that he has a lot going on and um, my prayers are with the congregation my prayers are with uh, all those people who have been impacted not just by his criminal past and uh, those persons who are positively impacted by his ministry in the present moment, but also those who are now looking at the church a certain way because of him and how he is presenting his role as a bishop in the Lord's church. And, you know, it's going to cause a great deal of dismay to some people. And, you know, we've already got a bad, a bad rap. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a few moments as we get into the second thing that we're going to discuss. But I, I, I just want people to know um, there was a crime. It, whether it was staged or not, that was still a crime carried out. And we should be praying for those persons, yes. But we should also also hope that all those persons, persons who were involved in carrying this out, whether the stage or not, can have a sense of remorse and bring to end this great, this great lamentation people are having toward those persons in the church, not necessarily toward Bishop Whitehead or his wife. <laughs> and I, I haven't heard much about the wife. I don't know. Uh, he said he has an uh, eight-month-old child. I don't know. I, I think she has her own ministry, too. 
I am not certain about that because again most of the most of the information that I've been taking in has been specifically about him so I haven't focused on his wife or I did visit the website and saw uh, you know the tenets of their faith and I like that he did have an affirmation of faith the Apostles Creed as part of his uh, their belief system on the website so um, it, it's, it is what it is this is a crazy day and age that we're living in people are emboldened to carry out acts of uh, violence against others for the most trivial reasons and uh, it it is what it is, but we've got to do better. And I hope that um, that this will be resolved, and that um, maybe he will get back to some sense of normalcy. Uh, I again, I can't speak to any of the uh, criminal allegations against him, the civil allegations or suits against him. I can't speak against that, but I do hope that there's a resolution that comes to it. And I know I have high hopes. <laughs> I'm going to take a quick break and we'll come back and we'll talk about the other thing that I want to discuss, and that is the debate about the use of church music in secular music or secular music in church music and should we condemn musicians, singers, artists for things that uh, they do outside of the church? In other words, we're going to talk about this saga between Bishop Patrick, Patrick Wooten and Beyonce. So let's, I'm ready to talk about that. And we'll do that right after this break. <laughs> The last two years have been trying for all of us, and many, including myself, have sought out help from the wonderful therapists at BetterHelp. With thousands of professional therapists available, you can get quality and affordable counseling from the luxury of your home on your computer, mobile device, or tablet from someone near you. Help right at your fingertips with BetterHelp.com. Go and like, follow us on all the social media, um, and 
if you would be so kind, become a patron by going to patreon.com slash Lorenzo T. Neal, signing up for one of the tiers, and supporting the show. Let's get into the second topic of the day. We are discussing this, um, I don't know how exactly to put it, but uh, a seemingly controversial topic of the day, song of the day, that was released by Beyonce. Uh, Beyonce released uh, her latest studio project, and uh, it's interesting to say the least. Uh, there's been commentary about it since she had released largely because of one, the uh, cover <laughs> of it. The uh, Hold on, let me, let me pull up the uh, what's the title of this latest single. Uh, it has one single that's been released called Break My Soul. Um, That's the latest one. The well, that's the first one. But uh, I, I'm trying to pull up the album title. Okay, here we go. So the latest album is called um, Renaissance, and the cover features Beyonce on what looks like a it's either a pale horse or a white horse, but some have been comparing this to <laughs> the horse, to one of the horses in Revelation, and signaling that this is an end time um, sign, and this is something all Christians should be concerned about: the fact that she's on this uh, pale horse, and uh, if you know anything about Revelation and the pale horse, the rider of the pale horse, um, you know that, uh, hold on, hold on, hold on, um, the pale horse signified death, all right, one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and according to the book of Revelation, um, let me so um, the pale horse brings death and hell and all authority was given to him so that the fourth the earth to kill with a sword a famine and pestilence by the wild beasts of the earth and that's in Revelation chapter 6 verse 7 and 8 um, now, hold on a little bit more as I investigate. <laughs> I, I, I've never really done a full study on, I have done a full study on um, the uh, book of Revelation, but I never really went too far into the four horsemen or anything like that as far as, I know the representation and understanding, understand how it was historically, you know, but uh, that's a whole different thing. Anyway, so some Christian, some Christian commentators have been going in on on the creators of that image saying uh, that uh, Beyonce 
basically is one she's not a Christian or anti-Christian two uh, that these persons though trying to be creative are foreshadowing something very terrible and every Christian should especially every black Christian should be uh, very very much <laughs> not afraid but prepared okay and um, anyway so she she does this and they're they're ranging on the imagery that is suggesting she has the song break my soul that's kind of like a dance kind of euro dance kind of beat and this sounds it's you know uppity and it's really a danceable tune and I've seen a lot of videos where people were dancing to it, children dancing to it, um, and I've looked at the lyrics, and the lyrics, mm, just for me, um, is not, not questionable, but you know, they're just standard uplifting kind of lyrics. But then she released Church Girl. And this single is or has become controversial because one person spoke out about it. And it's not that he spoke out about it. It's what he said that is really creating the rift. Uh, Bishop Patrick Wooten, who is the pastor of the Upper Room Church of God of Christ in North Carolina, uh, went on record and drew a lot of media attention um, because after listening to the song Church Girl, he realized one that there was a sample. Uh, it was there was a sample from one of the most uh, prolific and recognizable gospel um, music acts, and that is the Clark Sisters. Right at the beginning, you hear, you hear it, and uh, he decided that that use of this revered group sampling their song, their music, was irreverent and irresponsible, and went on to say a few other things. Matter of fact, he said that it was sacrilege. Uh, during a sermon a couple of weeks ago, Wooten was quoted as saying, the only thing that I can account to some of this stuff is somebody that sold their soul to the devil. And uh, even though I have fair use, I didn't play it. Now, why did he say that? Because the song's lyrics suggest, <laughs> suggest that... Uh, uh, church girls can be freaks and should be freaks and one of the one of the lines in the song says as soon as I get from this party I'm going to let go of this body and nobody can judge me I was born free and uh, <laughs> that is stirring up quite a quite a bit of, of uh, controversy particularly from Bishop now let me give you a little perspective about Bishop Wooden. Bishop Wooden has always been outspoken, even though he's Kojic, he's Pentecostal, he's very conservative. Uh, he has 
about 10 years ago, he was he, he came out of controversy because he was strongly encouraging black Americans to not vote for President Obama for a second term. And his reasoning was President Obama, one, you know, has kind of shifted in his ideology regarding same-sex relationships. At first he said he didn't agree with it. And uh, now he not only, at that time, not only was he agreeing with it, but was also promoting the idea of marriage for same-sex couples, which was highly controversial. And being a a son of Pentecost, (laughs) in the Pentecost church, Bishop Wooten was like, nope, that's an abomination, shouldn't happen. And he was strongly encouraging black black people to uh, not vote because of that. And and be transparent, I also was not in agreement with that, and I've raised my voice along the same lines as Bishop Wooten. (laughs) I was afraid I was going to lose my job as a pastor, too. (laughs) But anyway, so uh, there was a lot of people who were felt antagonized by that and acted in response and there were people who were writing open letters to him and, and asking him to be removed. Uh, at the time, he was not a bishop. He was not a jurisdictional bishop in the Church of God in Christ. He was just a pastor, and a, a very respected pastor, a well-educated, well-trained pastor. And, and um, he just was trying to stick to what he knew and, you know, in his mind. And in the mind of many church folk back then, that's just what it was. So he came under fire for that. And um, again, because he's Kojic, and the Clark sisters, the Will, uh, not the Williams, <laughs> not the Williams brothers, uh, uh, but the Winans, these are famous musical families in the Kojic church. And they're reverent. And so he like they should be using allowing their music to be used by this person, and the reason a lot of uh, preachers had problems or have problems with Beyonce is not because, not alone because you know the imagery you know she she she, uh, she gives off the sex appeal, her dances, her songs, uh, independent women and, and all, you know that stuff, and it's antagonistic. A, a lot of the patriarchal doctrines or ideology that's in black church culture and that's understandable it really it really is understandable uh, I myself have been victim to that and I, I'm learning to adjust and and not find scripture to support it but understanding that the environment we're living in is changing and I'm trying to navigate that change while presenting it an authentic gospel that still compels people to repent, you know, and and know the lyrics said, nobody can judge me. We still have to preach a a gospel of judgment, and we don't like it, but we are compelled to do that. That's part of the gospel message. And although I don't, and I'm just speaking for myself, I don't explicitly preach on hell and 
brim fire as I used to back in the day. I still try to get people to understand they need to repent. Repentance is a key element of, you know, the gospel ministry, right? And change and conformity is not so much, but that happens after the inward dwelling of the Holy Spirit gets in you and I. And I know a lot of people listening to this may not agree, and that's fine. That's I'm just talking from, you know, the pastoral perspective and, and how we should be preaching. And how we used to preach, but that's a whole different thing. But anyway, Bishop Wooten has caught a lot of, of uh, uh, how can I put it? He just he's caught a lot of rage from not just Beyonce's following, the Beehive or the Bayhive, whatever they call themselves. I can't recall. Um, he's called it because he called, you know, he, According to one source, and I'm just using one source, uh, an article from our our dot today, and uh, in this article they quote they they show the video and they also kind of quote what he says. And one of the things that he says that even I find a bit offensive, but I understand where he's coming from, uh, is that he said that the the song "Church Girl." is a piece of trash and not fit for public consumption. <laughs> not fit for public con- cons- consumption. And he goes on and says that uh, um, the Clark sister, Twinkie in particular, who f- was featured in that, said um, she, Twinkie Clark should know or should at least believe that Beyonce is not saved and that uh, she should not have allowed this her music to be part of that. And he denounced, it. He, he hoped that she would denounce what was going on. And <laughs> uh, and he denounced Twinkie when she said, hey, I'm just proud of somebody using my music. And I, just, I completely agree with that because I know it's called royalties. She getting paid. <laughs> she getting paid. Every time that album spins, every time it's streamed, every time it's downloaded, she getting something. And <laughs> I wouldn't mind either. And this, this is an age-old uh, discussion about secular and, and Christian music. Going back as far as the early Roman Catholic Church, primarily in the medieval um, century as music was kind of becoming note, notation and the Gregorian chants were there and, uh, and a lot of artic- artists began to use the notes that the monks created to sing their um, uh, their their lyrics uh, during the Kyrie <laughs> and all of that Laison, Kyrie Laison, and all that songs of the ordinary songs of the proper these monks were singing and the various um, the various things that they were singing uh, in in the evening service in the morning anyway so as notation became more prominent in music composition and, and things like that church did not want that out so they only allow people to compose music for the church 
And eventually, by the time of the Renaissance, you had these wonderful musical artists like, uh, well, many, Vivaldi and all these guys from that time in um, the Renaissance. And I may have gotten that wrong. Vivaldi may have come in, this, in the 18th century. But anyway, the church dominated who could, who could perform. And most of the patrons of the arts were cardinals, the pope, and, you know, of course, uh, the monarchy, because they can afford to do that, and nobility. But it was heavily, heavily supported by the church. And the church did not like for those persons to compose secular songs. You know, they were writing hymns, they are composing music for use in the church and towards the end of the 19th century more particularly as the Catholic Church lost strongholds in particular areas of Europe and as Europe was going through all the various changes then you know you saw a broader reach of secular music not just borrowing from the sacred but a lot of times the sacred borrowing from the secular. And that happened quite a bit and it is still going on to this day. Uh, probably more particularly heightened in the 20th century as gospel music became more of the means of uh, Christian expression for the black church. Borrowed heavily from the blues. And think about it. Uh, Precious Lord, written by a former blues singer. So this dialogue has been going back and forth about the sacred and the sacrilege of the secular. And it's going to continue, you know. And the funny thing is that there's so much crossover because musicians see music just as it is. And we'll take riffs from various things and integrate it into music. Earth, Wind, and Fire did it a lot. Um, one matter of fact, you know, they had a piece called Gratitude and when you listen to it, it, it in integrated um, melodies that, that, well not melodies, but lyrics that were very deeply spiritual. Same thing with devotion and keep your head to the sky and all of that. Those tunes were heavily influenced by Maurice White's church experience. You know, coming out of the church, playing for the church as a drummer, and and being exposed to jazz, and then integrated with the, the broad spiritual consciousness that he articulated, and then later integrated into the musical experience that fans to this day still enjoy. So it's, it's always going to be that thing. I don't know why we pastors, particularly black pastors, always have an issue with that. It takes me back to the to uh, the movie The Color Purple. And you know, Seeley uh, and Suge's Shug, mother, Suge's father was a preacher and had nothing to do with her because she sang at the juke joints. And one of the one of the biggest scenes in the movie is when Suge is married and 
goes to see her father who is riding on a carriage and she said, I'm married now. <laughs> and it doesn't really bear, have any bearing on him because to, to him, she was a lost soul, not worthy of even his own saving. So there was a lot that went into that. And it, it still carries on. Now, I'm because I am a musician, I'm able to differentiate, differentiate secular from sacred. But when I was playing for churches, I mean, I was throwing riffs in there, and people enjoyed it. And part of the problem was sometimes people would focus in on the music, you know, or the the um, the sound of the merit music. If we bring too much secular riffs into a gospel song, where the people are going to do that. And then I, uh, there was another controversy with the Stellar Awards that happened a few weeks back because it seemed to be more industry driven and the industry now is calling for gospel music to be as close to secular music as possible so that it can you know it can really really make them profit back in the day of the Clark sisters you know even though they were signed to big labels you know you had Walter Hawkins you had uh, Edward Hawkins you you had many of these artists that were restricted. They didn't, couldn't make money making records because only black people bought the records, but they could make money touring, which they did, and, and eventually make, becoming mainstream, getting on uh, popular television shows, raising their profiles, right? And a lot of church folk didn't like that, them going on, you know, Carson show or, or what, what the night show and all that they didn't like that I'm, I'm, not, I'm just saying I'm not sure if anyone really did but going on to these different platforms outside of the church hurt them and then you had by the progression of the early 2000s you heard Kurt Franklin well not 2000 but the mid early 90s you had Kurt Franklin who just outright blew up the market for secular music play uh, secular stations playing gospel music why because Kurt Franklin's music didn't sound like gospel music and even Robert Kelly R. Kelly was upset he got in it with some church leaders because uh, he, he wrote for a lot of gospel artists he wrote a lot of gospel music and integrated some of the gospel music riffs into his song. And he said, he publicly said, I don't care if church folk get mad at me because my music sounds like gospel. Well, he had already been writing gospel for a lot of people. And their music was being played in churches. But that's a whole different thing. But anyway, it's a trivial thing. I hate that Bishop, I understand completely where he's coming from out of that tradition of the Kojic Church where, you know, back in the day, just 40 years ago, and I emphasize just 40 years ago, they still were like, if you Kojic, you don't, you wear skirts, you don't go to football games, you don't go to movies, you 
don't listen to certain kind of music. And, the, and all my friends who were Pentecostal, Apostolic, or Church of God in Christ, that was their standard. Even when they were in marching band, <laughs> they wouldn't perform when we had to do routines and shake out behind. <laughs> that was the standard then. It was holiness or the presumption thereof. And now, you know, every year at the Kojic Complication, I don't know why, uh, it was always the concert, the midnight musical that drew the crowd, and everybody acted a fool. They, they, that was the club. You went to Kojic Complication uh, mostly because you knew a lot of the popular music gospel artists, gospel artists were going to be there, were going to perform, and were going to show out. And the flamboyance of both male and female was going to be on mark, on point. Anyway, I, I've gone too long on that. I wish we can get to the point where we can reconcile this and understand music to be music. And what Beyonce's album is, is what it is. Whether Beyonce identifies as a Christian or not, she about making money. And uh, <laughs> coming out of the roughest part of the pandemic, that's all that matters. And I'm not saying that's all that matters to her, but to the studio that's producing the album and funding it, they got to make that money back. And the black ma and the majority of her people are black. And they, the, the song Church Girl, and I didn't go through the lyrics intentionally. You can... Google the lyrics and you can see more what she's talking about because she says something called <laughs> Tick Old Bitties. And <laughs> if you don't know what that is, that's all right. I'm going to leave it at that. I, I hope I don't de get demonetized for saying that. But that's what it is. Beyonce completely understands her audience. She knows what kind of music will get her the best profit. When she goes on tour, she knows the people are going to be there. They're not about to cancel her anytime soon. They're so She's so popular and treated like a goddess that they have had masses for Beyonce. You know, and I, I'm talking about religious masses or services. So, it's old school versus new school. How will we as black church, the black church, collectively how will we how will we stand because we've become more secularized too we invited you know the more we want a service where all we can do is shout and feel good it's just as bad as uh listening to the music of the secular world and then allowing our musicians to come in and play it and don't complain about it when it's on sunday morning and the people are reacting, and the dollars keep coming in. <coughs> so we, we've got to be consistent, and unfortunately we have not been, and I don't think we intend to be anytime soon. So till then, we just need to keep our mouth shut. Speak out against injustice. Speak out for unrighteousness. And I know he believes he's doing that, Bishop Wooten, believes he's doing that but there's a, high, a whole lot more and he's not the only one I'm guilty of it I haven't done it and probably will do it in the future 
if I feel antagonized by something I don't agree with. That is the nature of the human person. And so it is what it is. I hope that you guys enjoyed it. Let me know what you think. Be sure to uh, leave comments, share your thoughts on this topic and any other topic. And again, I want to strongly encourage you, if you have not done so, go listen to all archive shows. You can go to the Zero Hour Network on Facebook, and they're available on all podcast outlets, wherever you may be listening. Go and listen and, and uh, share, leave comments and all of that. Follow us on all social media, support us and all of this. And... Um, We'll keep doing what we do as long as we can. God bless y'all. See you next time. Thank you again for listening and tune in for another great show.